Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The ask a cycling coach podcast presented by trainer road. I'm coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Zimmerman. Hi everybody. Our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we are going to answer more of those cycling and triathlon related questions today. And you can submit them to us at trainerroadcom slash podcast. We will read all of the questions that are submitted every week. We'll go through them. And then we put together the best conglomerate or best mashing together of questions that we feel like makes for some interesting and informative discussion for you all. Uh, before we get into that though, we had a product release this week that was pretty exciting stuff. Yep. This isn't the one we've been teasing, but, uh, now <laughs> when you, uh, finish a ride and when it goes to Strava, the image of the ride will be uploaded. So yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's <laughs> nice. The thing that's cool about it is, uh, when, when you're doing an interval and you know that people are going to see it afterwards, <laughs> you're much less likely to bail early. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's. Cool. And you get to see it compared to what you're supposed to do, right? Whereas yeah. before, like you might be able to drill into the ride and actually see what they did and you know, look at their power graph. Now it's front and center. Yep. So we we all it's not just us three that have to watch our P's and Q's now. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next thing I wanted to say is that the podcast is now on Spotify as well, uh, so you can look that up on Spotify and listen after the fact. It's not live on Spotify, but uh, you can listen after the fact, you can share them, you can follow us there, and then you'll get notified every time. It just kind of sets up right there so that it's in your feed in Spotify, which is pretty handy to have. So if you don't like using podcast apps, you could always use Spotify as well. How do you find it on Spotify? If you just look for Ask a Cycling Coach, or if you look for Trainer Road, you'll be able to find both of them that way. Cool. So, or you'll be, be able to find it either way. Uh, the next thing to cover is there's a big bike race that's happening actually really soon. Not a whole lot of announcement yeah. to it or lead up, I should say, but the Sagan, Peter Sagan has a grand Fondo series. He's doing in California in Northern California and Southern California. And the Northern one is going to be dirt. Southern is going to be road and it's May 3rd through 5th here in Truckee. So it's actually, it's about a half hour away from where backyard. we are. Yep. We we're, race on those roads, actually. We do. Yeah, yeah. And like our weekly race, it's going to be a ton of fun. So it's a mix of road and gravel. Uh, a friend of mine who is Kurt Gensheimer, he's the angry single speeder. He helped lay out the course, and that guy knows these roads like the back of his hand. 60 miles, right? Yep. Yeah. Isn't there a 30 something mile choice too? Yeah. There's a, there's a option that you can do that's going to be, I guess, uh, not only that, I think that, yeah, there's a 30, 30, and then I think a 60. So it's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, goes by a waterfall. Cool Today's stuff. the 15th of February, 2018. Mm -hmm. Uh, we can, oh, you can sign up today. Registration opens at like 10 AM. Mm -hmm. We're all going to do it. Mm. Actually, a whole bunch of train road people are going to do it. I think like eight or nine of us. So yeah, yeah. it's exciting. It'll be super fun. So hopefully more people come if you guys want to. Yeah, you can check it out. Go to sagenfondo.com and then you can get the information on it. And if you all or if you are planning on racing that, let us know. It should be a ton of fun. It's gonna be uh it's in a region that's that's darn near deserted and it's just like raw La Sierra type of life type of terrain. It's awesome. So gonna be a ton of fun. If you're going, let us know. And uh it'll be fun to see y'all there. So uh beyond that though, or actually much closer. We're going to team camp, team camps. Oh yeah, this weekend, you and yeah. I, Nate. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> like we're going to pro team camps. We are, yeah. So we're going to the Cliff Bar team camp. We're going to the Mark Pro team camp, and they're both really close. They're like an hour away from each other. Yeah. On the same weekend, so we're going to kind of pinball ourselves back and forth. We're doing like the hard day of one camp, and then the hard day of another. Camp <laughs> yeah, back like to that. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck. It's going to be interesting. And we're actually, so this isn't going to be a live podcast, but we are, oh, this one obviously is, but we're going to be recording a podcast there and it's not going to be live. It's going to be edited and posted up together after the fact, but 
a lot of these riders are in different positions in terms of like what they are prepping for, for the year. Right. So some of them want to race. Yeah. Kind of like, kind of like us. Right. Um, some people are, are, are raring to race. In fact, some of the Mark pro guys right after this camp, they're getting on a plane to the Dominican Republic for a UCI race over there. Right. Uh, Mark pro guys, a lot of them are going to be prepping more or sorry, the cliff bar guys are going to be prepping for crit racing. That's going to be happening a little more into the summer. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but some guys are prepping for early season races. So we're going to be covering all those differences and how they use a team camp or in other words, for all of us that don't maybe go to team camps, a good block of training how we use a block of training mm -hmm. differently depending on the demands that our race season puts on us and, and our fitness. And based on where they're in, like in the season, the uh, Mark Pro camp is more like, let's decide who's like the fastest and, and more like pecking order. Yeah. And the cliff bar hopefully yeah. is more team building yep. rather than let's know, let's see who the strongest is and yes. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like we're going to have with the Mark pro camp, Phil Mooney, the, 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 the manager of that team or the director, which uh, we actually did a podcast with him that I still feel is like one of our best podcasts. It was super informative. It was really awesome. And he's in the chase. Yes, he is in the chase. Uh, and he's an incredibly fast rider himself. He'll drop plenty of the riders on his team, which yeah. is pretty awesome. So he's got a pretty impressive list of Palmares. Yeah. He's an awesome rider. So, but we did a podcast with him last year around this time. And, uh, it, we talked all about team camps he's actually scheduled a 20 minute individual hill climb time trial. And then I think there's going to be another like 20 minute hill climb group time trial that we're doing too. Oh. So, and then we have, I think it's like a 60 mile ride. So it doesn't sound that long, but it's like over 7,000 feet of it's climb, a hard ride. 60 miles. If it. I'm within one minute on some, like one of those riders in the climb, I'll be so yeah, proud of myself. Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. And they do have some guys that once again, are not prepping for climbs at all. Right. They're just prepping for flat sprints and crits. Mm -hmm. So then we might have a chance. Maybe who knows? Maybe. <laughs> Never, probably not. Um, but anyways, that's going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll be having some Instagram content too, from these camps, trying to give you guys some insights into this stuff and, uh, stay tuned for that podcast when it goes up as well. And then are you going to race the crit Monday? No, I'm not. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm going to race a cat five crit Monday. Oh, Cat five crit are scary pie. words right there. <laughs> scary I know, pie. scary pie. <laughs> so. It's called the Cherry Pie Criterium in Napa. It's like an early season staple in in the, the Northern California region. Yeah, it's Event, been around for yeah. a long time. But uh, as Chad said, it's known as Scary Pie. It's just early season, so a lot of people are shaking off the cobwebs. Haven't really, you know, settled into. Uh, they're, they're they're rekindling their skills. So a lot of people. That's a good point. Is if I wanted to be safer, I should skip early season crits. Like yeah. generally, right? That's where the I most think it's fair to happen. say. Yeah, but yeah. <clears throat> you are bringing a lot of uh, fitness into the early season, so mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to. Uh, I know I'm excited, right? Like, yeah, you want I want. It's kind of hard to exactly. pass upon these opportunities. Yeah. The, like you said, I think that two factors go into making early season races potentially dangerous. Like you said, a lot of eager beavers out there, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps riding over themselves, not thinking things through quite as well, but they also, a lot of the time they, they get out of experience in, in a group scenario or in a race group scenario, not just a group scenario, but a race group scenario. And you, you build this fluidity after even a short period of time mm -hmm. uh, and even you if lose it's it just a matter quickly. of relaxing, just learning to, you know, just the, the ebb and flow of, yeah. of mass dynamics. It's like mm -hmm. dancing. Totally. You dance with somebody else and at first it's all awkward. Then after a little while, it's you kind of, that is it. a super good metaphor. Yeah. Thanks yeah. Chad. Yeah. <laughs> is assembly? Whatever. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care. <laughs> um, and also, so before we go, that, that's going to be this weekend, going to be tons of fun. Follow us on Instagram, just go to trainer road and you can see us there. Uh, but, uh, Nate, you also wanted to clarify something that oh, yeah. we talked about last week. I said before that, uh, between the mobile and desktop apps, cause we have Mac, PC, Android, and iOS, 
that our new development work is going into the mobile apps. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to clarify something. It's so the new development work on the mobile apps are going to make it to the desktop apps too. We're waiting for some technical things to come out, but anything that makes you f- like faster, like real faster is going to make it to all of them. Yes. So like this new uh, RAM test we're talking about, that's going to get in all of them. Um, an example is we have a improvement for device help. So when you pair your new devices inside of uh, the mobile app, we sent, have like a best practices. And if you can't find something, we have like the same list of things you could try that our support staff would say. That's in the mobile app, but not the desktop app. Mm-hmm. But uh, I feel like it's not hurting your day-to-day training by not doing that. That just helps us reduce support tickets and frustration and onboarding experience with people. For but new again, users. Yeah, for new users. So that's also going to come it's going to come back. And even sometimes uh, a very common thing that happens is batteries run out mm-hmm. and someone comes up and they're like, ah, I won't pair with train and road. Yeah. But if you had that list where you could check and you just say, hey, my try to replace my battery and then it works. So even though it's been working flawlessly for four months, one day <laughs> it won't happen. pair. Yeah. I mean, it will, it will definitely happen. You always, yeah. you guys ever run out of battery before? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. Toddler unplugs the trainer happens too. So yeah. like, you know, and you don't know about it. <laughs> Never so. had that happen, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. So, uh, yeah, you get the same benefit, uh, in terms of whatever app you're using. If it's, if it's a trainer road app, you're going to have the same training benefit. Yeah. Uh, also Chad, you've been doing or testing out a, kind of a different workout structure or strategy yeah. and some people were sending in some questions on it. Cause once mm-hmm. again, our, our Strava rides are, are, are heavily critiqued. <laughs> <laughs> yep. If we do something different or if we, heaven forbid, we don't stick to the plan, then, then we hear about it, but you were doing something kind of interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not exactly testing this out. It's not, it's not as though I have to suss this out to see if it actually works. I know it works. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm doing it more as a matter of I'm, I'm getting over an illness. So I got a little bit of stuff in my chest still, and, and I'm just trying to keep the intervals shorter so that it's a little easier on my body, a little easier on my lungs in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has brought up questions, you know, why, why am I segmenting these intervals like that? Instead of doing a three by 15, three by 18, three by 20 sweet spot workout, why am I doing them in four and five minute increments? Yeah. So you're doing four and five. Sorry. And, yeah, and exactly. how long is the break in between them? Sh- short. I mean, I think I started with minute ones and I'm down to 30 second ones now. Gotcha. But anyway, it, it keeps you from getting to that point where you're so ramped up that in my case, I start hacking. So respiration comes up, heart rate comes up, but then I take enough of a break that things ramp back down again and I can get back in it. And I'm still getting basically the same bang for the buck. Mm-hmm. And and this is where the questions come in. It's, it's like doing shorter, shorter VO2 max intervals where we don't beat ourselves up with long duration and high intensity. We just hit small bits of yeah. the high intensity with little breaks in between, but not breaks that really compromise the overall quality of these intervals mm-hmm. or the workout. And, and it's the same thing here. Um, I talked about in one of my replies that there is a decline in aerobic efficiency that, that we avoid because because basically as the interval drags on, um, the uh, ATP turnover, the oxygen cost of your energy goes up, up, up. Mm-hmm. So, so inefficiency creeps upward. And adding these little breaks helps us avoid some of that inefficiency. It's not really um, – m- maybe not a goal that you should ch- chase in training because you're trying to exact – Mm-hmm. You're trying to push your system, so you don't always want to avoid those inefficiencies. Um, certainly, do want to av- av- avoid them during racing, but that's just kind of a happy benefit mm-hmm. of this. Um, but basically, all I'm doing is redistributing my recovery. Yeah. So over the course of 20 minutes of sweet spot work, normally I'd have a four or five minute break. I'm still taking that four or five minute break. I'm just doing it in 30 second or one minute increments throughout the interval itself, and then shorter breaks between the big intervals. Should people ever then do? 
20 minute, 30 minute sweet spot. Absolutely. So, so this is, like I said, it's just a way of kind of, or maybe I didn't mention this yet. It's a way of easing into this. So maybe you don't have the muscle endurance. Maybe, maybe you don't have the pain tolerance to do via long VO2 max work. Um, maybe you just don't have the fitness to support those longer efforts. So you, you, you ease into it. But the fact is between going from base to build to, to the, uh, specialty plans, as you get closer to your events, these the training has to more closely replicate what you're going to do yep. on the race course. Yep. So in our cases with the 40K time trial, we know we're going to be riding straight for 50 to 60 minutes. Hmm. If I don't do intervals, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't, 60 minutes? I can't no. bank my whole event on three and four minute repeats because right. yeah. that's not going to happen mm -hmm. on the race yeah. course. So if I go out there expecting to excel, over, the, over something that's that Pause long. the timer, guys. I need to backpedal yeah, for a exactly. bit. exactly. <laughs> I'm going to take a quick break. Everybody hang on. That, that's not how it works. So yeah, you do have to make those demands more closely replicate what you're planning to do. So we could also, like if someone has a big workout like Galena, I think that's three times 20. Mm -hmm. They could then, I think there's Carson and some other like ones that are shorter ones yeah. if they're feeling bad that day. So like, you're like hey, can. I'm not feeling all the way, but I still want to train. They That'd can. be a good like step back. Yeah, yeah. And and better yet would be the the regressed versions of those or the, the uh. toned down minus versions of those where I actually have inserted in a lot of cases, taken a 10 minute interval and made it four, two and a half minute intervals with a 30 second break. Awesome. I actually want to get on top of that and make sure that there are more of those so that that's always an option cool. because so it's a really good way to maintain basically everything you want out of that workout, but just tone it down a little bit in terms of the stress on your body. So forget what I just said, do the minus versions. Cause yeah. that's what, that's yeah, that, why you're building them. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And that way, like I said, so right now my next workout will effectively be a three by 20. You know, Nate was doing three by twenties a while ago. If I had tried to do three 20 minute intervals, the first one probably would have crushed me. I was doing three by thirties. Okay. Oh, okay. Intimidation Whatever. right there. <laughs> There's a lot of, uh, just so everyone knows. Yes. Because they might not see all the backstory. Yep. Chad just called me out on Slack <laughs> internally. <laughs> me and Jonathan a couple days ago. So the talk has been ratcheting up here because we're our upcoming 40K it's time. It's time exactly right. trash talking to start. We're about three months out. We got to start getting in each other's heads. Yeah. 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 Trying to. Yeah, that's true. Chad was claiming that uh, his best rides were happening when he didn't have a power meter back in the day. And that's when he had the well, best power data. Because so. we, yeah, we were looking for power like uh, yeah, with yeah. our our go to the oh facebook beta group go in yeah. there if you want access to a new product but we're looking at your best power prs and he said oh my i didn't have a power meter that's why my best that's power how, that's how there. it goes with me all my, the time my, my results yeah. speak for themselves though i mean look, look at any of those races and if i True happen story. to beat some very fast guys who did have power data that, it, stands to reason chat i i remember those days and you just like <laughs> lapping the field so i remember absolute beast yes yeah yeah so that's a but that was a, a that was a long time ago jonathan <laughs> It was a lot to happen. A lot's changed. Older, right? Old dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even know. Uh, so one thing I wanted to just recap on this is this that that's a really uh, smart strategy, Chad. If you are finding yourself, like you said, maybe you're sick, or maybe there's just something has caused it so that it's 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 particularly difficult to be able to finish those longer intervals. This is a great uh, another strategy that you can do with it. So, um, Nate, you raced your bike this weekend, and this is. We're going to kind of transition from this into some questions too, because some of them depend from this, but we were talking about this. There are a bunch of valuable takeaways. Yeah. You won again, by the way. I, I won the sport division. Yes. So male 30, 39 sport division. But what I want to mountain say here, biking. mountain biking, cross country mountain biking. What I want to say, it's a, like a 90 minute race. Um, I, I hate just hearing someone's race reports, but I love race takeaways. Mm -hmm. So we're going to, I'm going to kind of talk about what happened, but mostly the race takeaways. Mm -hmm. First thing my wife did, um, uh, actually like a double duathlon the day before at the same okay. park. And the mistake I made is we're at this park most of the day that we went shopping afterwards. And I didn't, 
I had like this thing of coffee and then didn't drink all day. Oh. And I, I, I woke up in the morning dehydrated with a headache. So oh. takeaway, the hydration really starts the day before, doesn't yeah, so it? Just prior to your race, you're already dehydrated. Yeah, exactly. That's not oh. great. Yeah, no. right. And it seems silly, but I just wanted to mention it because a lot of times you travel and totally. there's like, I, I see people at expos, at marathons and Ironmans and stuff, and they're walking around. Some people, you see them carrying the water and stuff. Yeah. But other times, like four hours can go by and you're not drinking anything. Yeah. It's easy to forget. My rule back in the day, even when racing motocross, was if I was within 48 hours of my race, I just never, I, I always had a bottle of water in my hand. And it wasn't that I was drinking it all the time, constantly chugging bottles, but it was, uh, yeah, I just always have one there mm-hmm. and made sure that I was just sipping on the bottle when I could. So. It was available when you were thirsty. Exactly right. Yeah. Or in my case, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, you just forget about it a little bit, you know, yeah, if it's you not do. there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the first, that's the first takeaway. Second takeaway is a three lap race mm-hmm. on the second lap. Um, I was actually thought I was going pretty hard. And then this other guy, Tobias mm-hmm. looked behind me and he's right there. And so I started to go a little bit harder and I put my head down and I took a little wrong turn. Mm-hmm. So he got ahead of me. Then we got a little technical climb section. I had to put a foot out and he did it, but basically he got me by 30 seconds Okay. on the second lap. And I got into this, I was trying to think of like, when I do cross racing, I get gapped by 30 seconds. Yeah. My brain gives up. You check I, out. Yeah. I check out. I'm like, there he goes. I'm never going to be, I'm yeah. never going to catch him in this situation. Um, looking at it in hindsight, I, I thought that I could come back, hmm. right? And That's good. I wasn't in that mental state. Um, but it also made me think of like what, like his attack or what an attack is for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people misunderstand. So, and don't get me wrong. You have to have the, well, I shouldn't say this actually. You don't have to have the fitness to back up an attack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you, you can, can be less fit you than can the person. You can bluff mm-hmm. your way through the thing. Yeah. And I think a lot of people look at, uh, to a certain extent, you to know, extent, yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll catch up to you eventually. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people think of attacks as just physical. He had more physical ability, energy, strength, whatever else you want to say than I did. And, and then in our minds, if we're thinking that way, of course, we aren't going to try to catch that person because we think that person's riding away from me. And I feel like I'm pinned at the, you know, at my limit, he's just better than me. I'm going to let him go. But I think that that's backwards. We, you need to think about attacks psychologically. And I think that that's where, if you can put a person into that state, into thinking that, and that's sometimes all you Which need. Which is usually what happens with Nate, but I think he got in touch with something that's really important this time is that it's never over until you decide it's over mm-hmm. or he crossed the finish line. But the fact is, as soon as he saw that happen, he could have quit right then and there and that would have been his race. But it's never over until mm-hmm. you make that conscious decision. So just decide it's not over. I'm sure there have been plenty of times in crit races, Chad. I mean, you, you, you've, you're, you've been a successful crit racer for years, but where you've thrown down attacks oh, man. and you have not had the, the fitness or energy or felt like you could back that up, but it's worked, I'm sure, right? Yeah, that. And I've also you know been on the other side of that where someone has attacked me. And, and initially I want to think, oh, I'm, I'm never catching that. Mm-hmm. But I don't let myself do that, especially when there's you know 40 or 50 minutes racing still ahead of you. Mm-hmm. But that's when it can really get in your head because it's so early in the race and you're already feeling like you've been beaten. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a hard thing to rally from, but you just, you just can't let it get you down. You have to accept that there's, there's a lot still to be done. So I like the idea of the takeaway beam. The purpose of attack is not just to get the physical space, but to put the other person in a mental a mental state that they think they can't come back. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Right. So that's why when you attack, a lot of the time it's best to like. Well, it's you know, uh, 
This is a component that can help with an attack. Don't look like you are just at the ragged edge falling mm -hmm. apart and you're pulling away from them. If you can make that attack look like it's comfortable and convenient, I mean, look at Cancellara. That, that guy, whenever he would just roll off the front, that's what people, you know, the Cancellara roll, everyone talks about it that yeah. way, where he just just rolls away smooth, right? And you see it happen. I mean, we've we've had races where the strong guy rolls off the front and everyone just checks out. Well, now we're all racing for second. Yep. And that's that's the mentality from that point forward. The whole forward. field. It's such a drag. Exactly. In that state, though. But but could probably the whole field together have gotten back if they all thought they could. They could get Almost them. like 100%, right? Three guys, three strong guys who organized and went after it and didn't accept that that was the end of their race could mm -hmm. bring that back. Yep. Yeah, and when, you, when you're that rider attacking and you make it look like it's just so easy and it's not a big deal, then that does, I feel like that is even more psychologically damaging to your competition. There's a lot of ways to exploit the, the psychology of that. I mean, just you attack once, you get reeled back in, you attack again, get reeled back in, you attack again. I mean, just there are a lot of ways to show people that I'm a better rider than you or I want it more today. Yeah, I feel that a lot of people, and I, I don't, I think that our mind kind of operates in threes. And what I've noticed is after the third attack, a lot of the time people are like, I'm done. I mm -hmm. can't keep doing this. Yeah, that sounds about right. And it's like, it's one, two, three. And at that third attack, if you can go on that third attack after that, chances are at that Snap point, they the just elastic. think this is this, this is his MO. This is his operating pattern. He's going to do this until we quit. So I'm quitting. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so this race that I was doing, he, he had the, he got me on the downhill and stuff. And then I thought in my brain, I just have to make it to the, on the next lap to be in front of him before the start of the technical section. Mm -hmm. And, uh, cause that's where your disadvantage was. So you were looking yep. to get out in yep. front of that. Exactly. Smart. I needed, if I had an advantage there, I could win the race. Smart. And, um, I caught him maybe three quarters to the power section, but again, what I, I came up behind him and he couldn't really hear me. I, I, I waited a second, rested up. And then I went by at like 450 Watts. Like I was going so hard, yeah. but like I'd been doing this the whole race. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, Sorry, Tobias listens to the podcast, so sorry, <laughs> Tobias, but there's like a little um, twisty spot and I decided I'm going to go as hard as I can until he can't see me. Nice. And then that will, I was trying to think that it would hurt him mentally. Yeah, I don't know if it did or not. Sight, yeah. Psychologically. Yeah, yeah, I like the get out of sight. It really helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Um, and I think I ended up beating him by 50 seconds. So in that lap, um, like that, those lap and a half, mm -hmm. I put on, you know, a minute 20 on him, which is good. Mm -hmm. And I just, I could have... Based on what I've done before in past races, and this is what I want to share with everyone, it's so easy to check out and say that person's just yes. gone. It's mm -hmm. never going to happen. Yeah. Without making that move meaningful, I mean that that's that's a super valuable tactic. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you're just the, the carrot dangling in front of them, yeah. showing, showing you where you are. But as soon as you get out of sight, you could be just around the corner. You could be coming up behind them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, two, it was 20 miles per hour probably at that section because it was kind of flat. Uh, he would just would have been a draft, right? Yeah. So I would have been giving him an easier ride if I didn't attack hard and try to get a gap. Uh, a pro tip on that sort of a thing too. A lot of the time when, you, when you're going to pass somebody like on mountain biking or even on road uh, or gravel, especially if you have variable surface and, and everyone's kind of following a smooth line, when you can pass a guy <coughs> in a rough line without having to drop right back into that smooth line again, sure, it's going to take more energy, but it's really tough for them if they're on the rivet to jump into that rough line and follow mm. you, even if they get a draft. Mm. So when you're looking at how you're going to pass a guy in the line that you're going to take, another psychological play and physical play is to put them in a spot. Fine. You want to grab my wheel? You're not only going to have to work for it, but you're going to have to ride over the same uneven, hard, difficult terrain that I'm riding over right now. So it's kind of a, you know, it's, it, there are plenty of different things when you attack that you can do to, to put some salt on it too. So, uh, but you mentioned something else though. So 
that first lap, uh, where I should, it was different than the second lap in a, t- in a technical section and a turn section. First two laps. So maybe some of that gap too was also because you, you kind of yeah. nailed it at the end, right? I challenged or I channeled you. Okay. So it, nice. and this is a great course that has a bunch of like, um, little S turns that goes downhill mm-hmm. that, that are kind of flowy, but I was going into them too fast. And then I'd break almost coming out of them. Like on the last one, I have to break. And I just, that's and the some, reason you were breaking was because you were going in so fast that you, your line was off or you, you just yeah. didn't feel comfortable with going that. that exactly. Point, right? Okay. And then I started to concentrate on exiting the turn fast. Mm-hmm. And instead of having to accelerate out of each turn, or I would still accelerate, I wouldn't, I'd save so much time. So just the idea. And again, this sounds, this is like drinking water, right? Everyone's like good, <laughs> good insights and they drink <laughs> water and exit turns fast, but just concentrating on that, especially in the S turns of kind of, it feels weird because you feel slower at the beginning of the turn, mm-hmm. but then you carry more speed through it and mm-hmm. you come out a lot faster. And I think you're overall a lot faster. Yes. And I think that also helped me on the um, technical sections uh, where I, before I was losing time and I don't, I'm, I don't really know if I lost time, but I think it helped. Well, it's good that you play with that because if you scrub just a little bit amount of speed and, and just show yourself or just reestablish control or put yourself in a place where you feel like you still have control, it can make the exit of that turn so much faster. And each turn then, if I feel like I'm in control, I can go a little bit faster, yeah. right? Because yeah, the sure. confidence builds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, like crit racing too, we, we talked about this earlier in the week, but when you can go into that, that turn in a in a position where you aren't compromising control, mm-hmm. but you can go into that turn and maybe you just get on the brakes a little later. Maybe you let go of those brakes a little easier, anything mm-hmm. else like that. It's not necessarily charging into the turn because that's the, the worst thing you can do is charge in then blow your momentum and have to build it back up. That's what I was doing. You know? Yeah. 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 But if you roll into the turn at a more manageable rate, a lot of the time too, that kind of lowers your arousal level, the, the like mental state you kind of, and you can see things a little differently. You might see a different line or you might think I can get a little closer to this guy and I can just drift to the side of him rather than, you know, hitting the brakes and you might be able to get well, it slower. And it reminds me of what Lee McCormick said. He must said it 10 times over the course of our weekend is that slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. Yeah. And in slow, we're talking relative, we're, we're not talking going slow. We're slowing just a little bit slower, a lot smoother inevitably faster or eventually faster. I, uh, I went to lunch with two uh, Cliff Bar riders the other day and I told them about this Cat 5 crit and I'm nervous and they said, man, be off the back a little bit going in because there's, there's like a tourney section. He goes, watch everybody. You just let go of your brakes and just coast through the whole thing and you'll see everyone else, especially in Cat 5, <laughs> hit hard and then accelerate hard. Yeah. And if you just Cordial. ride smooth, because they're, they're, the whole point that like, they're really, especially if you listen back to our cliff bar podcast are really about saving energy. Mm-hmm. So in a crit, they're like, they don't want to, um, slam into a turn and then accelerate out. They just want to be smooth the whole time. And they kind of, they actually compare who had the lowest Watts for the yeah, crit, which is such a want. cool way. Right. Cause yeah. we're usually the opposite, but cause that means you're smarter. That's yep. what they're better, going better as long as you don't get dropped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as you don't get dropped. Yep. But if you, for the first three quarters of the race, who had the lowest Watts? You're doing the best for conserving energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's smart. Yeah. It's something that, uh, so in back in my motocross days, I used to call that digging for speed and turns. And it was basically looking at every square foot of the, or every, every foot that I progressed on that course and thinking, how can I increase my speed over that foot? Right. And it's what I would see a lot of people do in that situation was, well, I can leave, stay on the gas longer into the turn. And then, you know, see what happens through the turn (laughs) and they, they kind of stop thinking after that. Like you said, I think it's best to concentrate on entering slow and then rolling through the turn. And then you build on top of that. Mm -hmm. The one thing that then the, once you have the technique down and once you have that smoothness down and you kind of know where your limits are, then I think that 
you have to think back to the start of your braking. So if you were braking for 50 feet coming into that turn, maybe you can brake a little harder and start with only 20 feet there. And so you're only braking for 20 feet. You mm. get down to the speed that you need. You just carried more speed before then. So you still, it's not that you're charging into the turn faster. It's that you're just spending less time dragging brake, right? And that's a, like a kind of a next step is you just look at it like, can I wait to break into this turn? I definitely don't want to push it to the point where I blow my line in the turn and I have to re, you know, readjust and lose my momentum. That's one of the benefits of a circuit style race too, whether it's a criterium or a three mile circuit or a 10 mile circuit, you get the, the benefit of repetition. You get another crack at it and you get to do it at race pace, race speed. And that brings me to my final point, mm-hmm. thanks for the segue, is that um, this race course is at the right like uh, Lee McCormick said, the arousal level for me, mm-hmm. where it's not so technical that I feel like I'm going to die yeah. with some like single track six was above my skill level, oh, right? Yeah. That's a real mountain biker's race. Yeah, um, it was the, <laughs> And this is laps and we're doing the same course every time. So my, my confidence is going up. And what I would say to other people who are new to mountain bike racing, if you can find, don't throw yourself into something too deep. That's not it's not, you know, the swimming analogy of throwing yourself in the deep end. Yeah. I don't think that's get the best some, way. You, may, you might get some benefits, but it's definitely a good way to put yourself in a spot where you can't learn. It, it kind of blocks you from, from like well, blocks like the receptors. You, you don't learn to descend fast by just going out there and, and, and hitting that top <laughs> speed on the first day and just hoping for the best. Yeah. yeah. Like ski. You gradually work right. it up. Yeah. yeah. Here's the double black diamond. Go. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> that doesn't happen. No. But I think though with mountain biking, it's more likely because friends take friends mm-hmm. and they, they go on things and people get into skills where there's a double black diamond and you're brand new and you're like, no, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah, right. But especially exactly. too, if you have a fear mindset that I think I have that I'm trying to overcome, mm-hmm. it's even more so that you yeah. get into like a locked up state, like physically and you don't want to do it. Even yeah. uh, road riding, uh, racing. My wife's got a little bit with outdoor riding with packs. Someone mm. crashed in front of her. Yeah. Um, I told her she needs to ride in some outdoors ease, a little ease more. Ease back yeah. into it. Ease back into it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's key. It, it's really cool to watch too, to see you find races that are like in your, and, and it's not that you're winning these races. That's not why they are, because you might, let's just say there's a technical race, but you managed to, to careen your way down this thing out of control, but still at a decent enough pace to yeah, win yeah. the race. It doesn't mean you're going to be getting the benefits. It doesn't right? do a whole lot for your confidence just to survive it. Exactly. So exactly, it's, yeah. it's not just that you're winning these races. It's much more focused on the fact that the terrain is allowing you proper growth. Yes. Which is really cool. That is the key takeaway. The terrain is allowing proper growth mm-hmm. and it's, but it's not also boring for me. Yeah. It's very, very fun. Yeah. It's at that proper rate. Yep. It challenges you, but it doesn't terrify you. Yeah. yeah. Pretty awesome stuff. So yeah. if you're looking for races, keep that conscious. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so kind of retouching back onto the pre-race nutrition planning thing that you mentioned the day before with hydration, Tom has a question about that too. He says, Hi guys, love the podcast. I have a few circuit races and crits coming up lasting about one and a half to two hours, which require me to get up and leave the house by 7am for a 10am start. And I wanted to know what the best nutrition strategy is to make sure I'm fueled for the race. We face this problem pretty regularly here in the sense that a lot pretty of our common. road races are over the hill. Yep. Uh, so mm-hmm. a bit of a commute. Says currently I'm thinking of eating some slow releasing energy foods such as eggs on toast at 6.30ish or having a fruit smoothie with some oats, bananas, blueberries in it. Uh, before maybe having a gel after warming up before I race. Is this suitable or is this a suitable strategy? Many thanks, Tom. 
Yeah, so we all have something to contribute on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll kick I, it, let me kick it off just by saying, yeah. just by stating the goals of sports nutrition. I mean, we basically have three aims. Um, replenish glycogen, mm-hmm. assuming there's, there's any depletion. Repair muscle damage and synthesize new muscle. Okay. Cool. So in this case, all we're looking at is the glycogen side of that. So we can, we can omit those other two concerns and just focus on glycogen stores. Awesome. I was going to say his three options again, which was eggs and toast at 630. So we'd have probably uh, three and a half hours. A fruit smoothie while he drives, so a fruit smoothie over three hours with oatmeal, and then separate than that, a gel right before warm up. Yeah. Should, should you want to go on each one of those at once, Chad? Yeah, let's cover. Uh, oh, actually, let's step back to the day before because I think that this is something yeah. that uh, yeah. So a lot of athletes, perhaps, and we were actually talking about my terrible experience that, that <laughs> <laughs> my terrible example at Sea Otter two years ago. I think I did a cir- or I did a race, and I thought, man. I feel like I'm getting dropped on the climbs and so panicked about it. I think I can drop a couple pounds. Maybe (laughs) this is is like a race on Saturday and then a race on Sunday. You're like Saturday night. I'm going to drop a few pounds. I'm going to drop a few and it's going to help me climb. I can't tell you how many things are wrong with that. So I had a a terrible decision. I had an ahi seared ahi tuna salad. So like just super light on carbs. Right. Uh, Maybe none. Yeah. Like hardly any. I had some lettuce with some, with some raw fish and that, I raced the next day and I was at the front of the pack solid because in my mind, I think psychologically, I told myself I'm a bit lighter. I'm good. You know, and when I'm at the front of the pack for the first half of that race, and then it was genuinely an explosion. You probably could have heard it. Like <laughs> I just blew out the back of that. I race. heard it in Reno. actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and as soon as I did that, I thought I am completely out of energy. What am I thinking? Mm-hmm. You have to start your nutrition the, if you're looking at race day, it starts before then, at, at least the day before. Right? Yeah, and that, that's, that should be our concern. It sounds like that's what Tom's concern is, is yeah. that he's going to run out of gas mm-hmm. over the course of the race. So he wants to make sure he's as loaded up as possible. And like we're talking about right now, that, that starts well well before the race. We're not mm-hmm. talking morning of. We're talking day before, maybe a couple days before, depending on the duration of the race and, and you know if you're going to delve into carb loading possibilities, et cetera. But uh, – it, it starts the day before. So in a lot of people I know do priming workouts and that should also be a factor. So don't, don't, don't skip the fact that even if you just did a 20 minute effort, there's some glycogen depletion that takes place there that needs to be compensated for later on. So just keep that in mind as well. I've totally been experimenting with this and I haven't found an upper limit where like the day before, or even like the few days before I mean, so many carbs, as long as they're not like yeah, you're not, you're not eating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not really evidence of an upper limit. I mean, it's really what your stomach can tolerate. Mm-hmm. And then if you're comfortable with maybe adding a little bit of fat mass, you know, you eat too much carbohydrate, it gets stored. Big deal. You know, you carry an extra third of a pound into a race, but you know, you're completely topped off. Yeah. I, I want to say that Kenyan runners are like, they're running, they're doing like three or four hours a day, but it was like 10 grams per kilogram was like the limit for them. It's a lot. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. I they just, do a lot of work. They burn a lot of, yeah. a lot of calories. And I just want to reinforce, we've, we've mentioned this a lot, but- when we say carbs, I know carbs are associated as being evil. And a lot of people think carbs. They think of froyo, Oreos, and Coke. they think of chips and Refined Coke. Refined sugar usually. Donuts. Yeah. That's, and and when you're taking on, we're, we're talking about high quality carbohydrate from fruits, from vegetables, from-, from Even those lower quality carbohydrates have their place. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that they when we get, get to the energy high. gel. Yeah. 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 So when you're talking about loading up, you're, you're, you're not just, you know, not getting a big old package yeah. of double stuff Oreos. Sweet potatoes with black beans, oatmeal- a bunch of fruit, carrots, <clears throat> sugar snap peas, stuff like that. High quality food. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Chad, let's say every they eat the day before. 
Let's go back to his question now. What do you think he should do the morning of? Um, I, I think as long as he addresses nutrition properly the day before, he's pretty close to topped off as it is. Uh, over the course of the evening, he'll sacrifice some liver glycogen, so get up and, and restock that. And he's got the advantage of being a few hours out from his race, so he can do that. Was he talking about 6.30 in the morning for a yep. 10 o'clock race? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so maybe even play it safe and, and start eating at 6, whatever. Even, even 6.30 is probably enough time to digest most of what you what we'd recommend or I'd recommend you eat. And that's probably, I don't know that you're going to get a lot out of the eggs. I don't know that a, a influx of protein prior to a race is really going to do much for you. Right. Um, Post-race, it's, it's much more of a concern. Prior to the race, I don't know that there's a whole lot of benefit in that. So I would just keep that that meal carbohydrate centric. And because you're, you know, a few hours prior to the race, they can be more complex forms of carbohydrate. It doesn't have to be the quick burning, quick metabolizing stuff. Yeah. Because I mean, if you think about it, that's the type of stuff that you need in that race is that, that energy that you're going to be using when things are going pretty hard. So you need to be able to have that on board. And I, I look at the food beforehand, but like morning of it, I, I love having like eggs and like a traditional American breakfast. I love that, you know, but before a race, it's not I don't really eat performance that way. food. Yeah. Because, and then I look at that and I think, what is that really going to do for me on the bike? I should, if there's any time to make sure that, you know, it, once again, assuming you're already topped off because you've eaten properly the day before and everything else mm -hmm. coming into that, you're not trying to load yourself up with anything. You should really be looking that like, I want race gas right now. Like yeah. I want good, I want like a good a fuel. Race gas. Like, you know, like Topping I don't off want the stores. Yeah. I'm not going to pull up to any pump and just put in whatever. I'm just going to put in the good stuff. So Tom, I, I'll tell you what I would do at that 6:30 AM. I would leave out the eggs. I would do like a whole wheat toast with jam. And then I'd have the fruit smoothie with the oats, bananas, and blueberries at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have anything maybe in less water leading up to the race on the drive. Until, right. Yeah. On the drive. Mm -hmm. We talked about that. You can, mm -hmm. and this is going to be different for everybody, but Chen and both experienced that. It's going to be a heck of a lot different. Hypoglycemic state you can get in. Yeah. yeah over over like, the course of that two hour drive to the race and being, you know, an hour outside of the race itself, there's, there's, again, there's not a whole lot of benefit. You're not looking for a big bump in your blood glucose when all you're doing is sitting, driving a car. Yeah. 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 It, it's, and it's, we also talked about something that perhaps people could misunderstand is hunger as needing to, to actually fuel yourself with more because that could then hurt you in the race. And, and I, I think that a lot of people, especially endurance athletes, if they eat small, regular meals, and then you have a two to three hour drive to your race or anything else like that, you might feel like you're hungry, but it's important to remember the fact that once again, you're not depleted on glycogen. Yeah, just relax right? and let it digest. Yep. Exactly. Right. And then I would do the, uh, the gel or some chews right before the race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're talking right before the race, like not even 30 minutes. If you can do it like, I mean, 30 minutes is fine, but if you could do it no, 10 minutes before, so yeah. sitting on the start line, you know, waiting for the marshal to describe the course, whatever. So while you're sitting there ready to roll, that's, that's when you do I that last little dose of sugar. Goo recommends 15. I usually sure. do 10 or something. Sure. It, yeah. it, too, I think about it. It depends on how the race is going to start. If the yes. race is going to start blown up or the race is going to be a rollout for yep. 20 minutes yep. and I might do it right before I'll, I'll even put it in, um, like, uh, I'll zip up my Jersey and kind of Stack, put it right here stash so it I don't there. forget it. Yeah. yeah. And I just eat it. And then you, as long as there's some trash, you're okay. Yeah. If it starts and also, I guess, keep in mind the, the type of race that you're doing, if you're doing short crits or anything else, or if you're doing something like a long road race, right. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're doing something that's like a shorter crit and you know that, you know, as soon as that thing drops, you're going to be pinned, uh, you know, it might be tougher for you to perhaps, you know, process that if you're just pushing all that blood in your body's just going to your muscles. Uh, so you might not, and it's, if it's usually that's a shorter race usually. So you yeah, might and something like a gel is going to break down quickly anyway. I mean, it doesn't require a lot of digestive resources mm -hmm. to get, you know, 70, 70 calories worth of 
<clears throat> almost already chewed food through your system. Yeah. I guess thereafter it's all, and we've, we won't delve into, I guess, fueling once the race is continued and you're going on. I feel like this is probably if so much of nutrition, if you're trying to solve the nutrition problem, once you get into the race without having any attention put in beforehand, you're, you're late to the bus, so to speak, you know, you really have to front load that one to make sure that you're planned. And it makes, I think a lot of people myself included for plenty of years, I was blaming my mid-race nutrition on problems, but whether it was performance problems or it was gut problems or anything else, but really if I would have just fueled better coming into it, mm -hmm. then maybe I wouldn't have needed to Which, do that. you know, and Tom says, I have a few circuit races crits coming up, which says he has room for experimentation. So make this the mm -hmm. learning process that it ought to be. Try things that you think are going to work, find out whether they work or not. Try with workouts. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Good opportunity. totally in a 90 minute workout, you're probably not going to run out of glycogen, but I've noticed, man, the more I start to fade though. Yeah. You feel so much stronger. And when you finish, there's this psychological benefit too. When you finish a workout and at the end, you're not like super cooked. There's a massive physiological benefit too, which we'll yep. cover in a question coming up. And then the next workout's easier yep. and the next one's better. Um, yeah. Yeah. Eat yeah, some carbs. Much better. <laughs> Let's get into Matthias's question. Uh, he says, Hi, Chad. This one's specifically for Chad, perhaps. Oh, he, sent, he emailed this to me. <laughs> okay, gotcha. He says, in one of your last podcasts, Nate and you mentioned that over-unders and VO2 max intervals are the best way to increase FTP. His question, though, he says, are VO2 max intervals more effective than over-unders since you're spending a reasonable amount of time at VO2 max? Yeah, I almost wonder, did we say improvements in FTP or just improvements in fitness? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. It, it doesn't really matter. I, sometimes it's helpful for, I do this, I recommend that people do this, is to take a step back from what exactly you're trying to address. Don't concern yourself so much with power VO2 max or FTP or aerobic base. Simply see it as work capacity. Am I capable of doing more work? So in the case of something like over-unders, can I do, last week I did 10 minute, now can I do 12 minute over-unders? There's improvement. You improved your, your, your work capacity, your general work capacity. With VO2 max efforts, used to do them for two minutes, now I'm doing two and a half. Used to do them at 120, now I can do them at 122. There's an improvement in work capacity. It doesn't small. always have to be so finite and it doesn't always have to be tied to FTP. Small changes too, especially when you're talking about VO2 max and it gets closer mm -hmm. to threshold than an above threshold. We're not talking like now I can do 50% more. So that's a benefit. We're talking small yeah. percentages. You so, know? so I'm not super concerned with just bumping up FTP here so much as improving fitness in some way. Hmm. So uh, with VO2 max, we're trying to, I, I look at anything done, you know, sweet spot qualifies, anything done below threshold as elevating fitness threshold, also FTP, from underneath, you know, pushing it up, whereas VO2 max kind of pulls it up from above. And, and that's really just tied to the intensity and, and, and certain things go with that intensity. Can you explain that more? Yeah, so extremely pushing and pulling. it's almost almost like a structural reinforcement when you go at it from from below, uh, and it's and it's lower intensity, so you can do more of it, and you can more gradually reshape the system. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you do the high intensity work, it's obviously more intense, and and it's it's quite a bit more destructive uh, in terms of uh, cortisol, just various things that happen when you work with high intensity uh, any, antioxidant release, which we'll talk about soon too. But it's it's just different forms um, that basically have the same end game in mind. Okay, I'm going to say it a different way and I might say it wrong. So correct me. Okay. okay? VO2 max raises, raises how much aerobic power you can do. And then threshold is how close you can work for that aerobic power for a long time. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's true too. So, but but I'm, I'm talking on the more extreme end of things, aerobic base work. So mm -hmm. working for long periods of time at 60 to 70% has mm -hmm. much of the same effect at working for short periods of time at 120%, mm -hmm. same end game. Maybe less so once we start to delve into stuff that's a little closer to threshold, like sweet spot and threshold work. Mm -hmm. In that case, we're trying to improve muscle endurance or stamina mm -hmm. or the time that we can spend at that same percentage without changing the percentage, just increase the duration. His next question, and he he kind of ties this in. He he mentions that he is doing a workout in a specialty plan that he did in a build plan. He says, if you're riding the same two workouts in the build and specialty plans, their impact on fitness must be the same, especially given the fact that you started the latter plan with a newer, higher FTP. Or is it less about the individual workout itself and more the progression in training stress that leads to higher fitness levels? So the main question here is same workout. I'm doing it in, in different phases of my progression mm -hmm. through my training. Why is that? Why yeah, am so I not doing different workouts? Matthews, understand that the same workout can fulfill numerous criteria. It's, it's not always aimed at one particular thing, and certain things carry over across, across different training phases. Um, the build is focused largely on increasing your conditioning. Whereas we get into specialty phase, we're looking at refining what you can do, but also maintaining that conditioning that you developed prior. So some of those workouts that you saw earlier, we might see them again because they're aimed now at maintenance. Mm -hmm. You don't want to slide. You don't want to lose any of the stuff that you've already established. And so we'll touch on it here and there. And sometimes I'll recycle the same workout that helped you develop that fitness in the first place. Yeah. Not only maintenance, but I have, maybe that workout is very apt for the type of racing that you're going to that's be doing. That's another thing. Right? There might be some aspects of it that really carry over to the specificity of your events. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's really important uh, for people to recognize is that, you know, as you get closer to your goal event, you, your work should start to reflect the specific, you know, be more specific to what mm -hmm. you'll be doing on race day. So that workout that you may have been, you may have done at a, at a previous time, it, it's actually perfect for the type of racing you're doing. Mm -hmm. Right. So it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't workouts that are base workouts and you never touch them again. And there aren't workouts that are build workouts and you never touch them again. Mm -hmm. And specialty ones that you never touch. We're, we're talking about trying to, to trend that fitness in, in the proper direction. And we do it, at, you know, through many ways. Yeah. We're, we're addressing conditioning in one way or the other, either establishing it or holding on to it. Mm-hmm. Gunther says, I'm new to Trainer Road and want to thank you for a great training tool. I'm a lifelong cyclist and triathlete on and off. I've been off for the past seven years and I've put on a lot of weight, but thanks to Trainer Road, I've taken off 42 pounds. Atta boy. Way to go. Way to go, man. That's awesome. That's a- How fast I'd be if I lost 42 pounds. <laughs> that's a six-year-old. <laughs> Get my threshold that's, the same. That's, I was going to say, that's a got you in trouble the past couple of years. Yeah, try that. it, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> I did. You did, yeah. Uh, he says, my question is related to warm up prior to a triathlon. My goal for the year is to do a sprint triathlon. What is the best way to warm up? Should I swim, go for a ride or a run? Thanks again. And have a great night. And I want to just touch on this really quick. We, we never talk about warmups really within the context of triathlon specifically. Yeah. It's usually within cycling. That's so good opportunity. Tougher. So, uh, there's different levels and I've seen what pros do like, uh, Chris McCormick. And I've actually seen him do this in a sprint is he does it backwards. He goes run first, then rides, then swims and then, and then races. Um, I think most age groupers don't do that. One thing you can do, uh, it's, it is kind of important though. Cause if you go for the run, you get the porta potty, little mm -hmm. extra stop, which is very important in triathlon. <laughs> you should always go for at least a quick bike ride to check your equipment before a triathlon. Yeah. That's how many, huge. How many times do we see, even at Kona world championships, how many riders were having like a very basic mechanicals as they head out? Someone couldn't, okay. Shift through all your gears. We saw somebody, yeah. um, she Stuck couldn't in the shift. the big green going up. Yeah. Palani. Palani. Yeah. yeah. 
Anyways, do that quick check. But the most important thing for all age groupers, if you skip all of that, and maybe all of that too is not really warm up, is to do the swim warm up. Yeah. A swim warm up is so important. Um, I think in triathlon, and you might be a bad swimmer too, and you're like, oh, I don't want to like um, get too tired before the swim. But there's this cold water shock that can put you in a state of panic, mm-hmm. and then there's like the kicking and mashing. And too, I agree. I think, or I suggest that if you're not, if you're new to it, to um, let the whole pack go and then swim by yourself. Mm, that's a good, yeah. But it's very important to get into the water, to get used to the water, get your head underneath the water. Um, maybe if it's really cold, open up your wetsuit a little bit, get all that water in there, hmm. get used to it, stay in the water for as long as you can because you don't want that shock to your system. And then there's also the aerobic benefit because- mm-hmm. And that's, um, that's, I think, the most important aspect of it is that there's some form of general workout. Whether or not you're so specific as to go, you know, do some running, do some riding, and then do some swimming, do something that- Elevates your aerobic uptake. I mean, just just warms you up a bit, and, mm-hmm. and the swim's the best fit for that, yeah. for, for the reasons that Nate just named. And I mean, that, that's where you're going to start. It's the most convenient, less the least amount of anxiety. And for when I used to do triathlon, um, the races were far away. That it was hard to get there early. So to get in a run, a swim, or run a bike and a swim ahead of time would be really tough. Really tough. Yeah. So I would do. I'd ride around the parking lot, shift through all my gears, make sure everything's good line up all your stuff, and then I would try to get to the water as soon as I could and just spend a lot of time in the water yeah. and maybe try to swim to the first buoy and back mm-hmm. easy and then do race starts because that's another thing. Yeah. Well, I do arm circles say. first, yep. but then after you do a good aerobic warm-up to do some hard 15-second sprints. Yeah, and honestly, does it even matter if it's a sprint versus a, a, an Ironman distance race? Because you're going to go out hard. You need to be primed for that in any case. Depends on how competitive you are because there's a lot of people listening that will, the swim is just going to be survive. Like, that's how you sort things out and you, like it starts once you get onto the bike almost for a lot of folks. Well, and, and to a lot of folks there, uh, that's one reason I love triathlon is because it's a competition against yourself. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, so much the time is not spent of like, I'm going to race this person. I'm attacking this person. Mm-hmm. Somebody passes you, both people say, good job. Like, yeah. right. Because they're just it's trying to get different. a better time. Yeah, that's before, a good point. Achieve something. So, um, it's not always super fast at the beginning, sure. but I still think you should do the warm up and just mm-hmm. get the aerobic system ready. And yeah. so you, you'll have a better swim and you'll feel more comfortable. And as we've discussed plenty of times, if anything, if, if, if you remove the physical benefit of a warm up, I think having a routine that as long as that routine is something you can replicate, regardless of where you're at, right. Put yourself in uh, the right mind space, head space. Exactly yes. right. It gets you psychologically prepared and, mm-hmm. and it, in a swim, so much can go wrong to throw you out mm-hmm. of that psychological you know state of, of, of focus you know, get punched or you get kicked in the face, do anything else. And another just, big thing with the warm up um, on the swim is wetsuits are hard to put on. And when you're new to, mm-hmm. like, if you put them on just a little bit wrong or crooked or you don't have them pulled mm-hmm. up enough, um, it can really put extra um, uh, tension, tension on your shoulders. Yeah. Or you can Tough. get like a little, like, um, kind of like a two year old's diaper going on where you yeah. get extra water in there and it will catch. Yeah. Um, so just you can get those things out while you're racing and or while you're warming up. And if you there's really good if you don't know about this, go on YouTube. Usually manufacturers will do it themselves, but there's also um, pros and and plenty of videos showing how to put it on. It's very important to put the wetsuit on correctly. And a lot of people I think I see them they don't do it correctly. They don't have things lined up. Mm-hmm. Um, like the ones that I had, they have a they have a seam where your pinky should go, and that's where the seam should go up your elbow and All down. The way through. And if you don't get that lined up the rubber, like the way it flexes, it feels different and it's 
it's yeah, like you can get shoulder burn. Yeah, fighting like, against you. Like yeah. Pedaling your, <clears throat> excuse me, pedaling your bike with compression gear that was misaligned. That's like yeah. pulling your knee out of yeah. the position yeah. it should be tracking. That's exactly in. what it's like. So, yeah. huh. and then getting your goggles right and your swim cap right. And there's, the swim is hard. Because eventually. You just skip <laughs> duathlons. <laughs> because eventually, I think that uh, all three of us eventually are going to be focusing on triathlon. I don't know about focusing. <laughs> I, I do a couple. <laughs> I think we're going to do one in August. Uh, yeah, yeah, so that's true. Yeah, we can leave more information on that at some point. But uh, but I think even beyond that, we've talked about this, about actually focusing. I'm kind of like throwing us under the bus here. But we've talked about actually you know focusing on half distance or even like a full distance race, which is craziness. But uh, with that, with I have tons of questions. Do you use something to help to make it easier to put on? Like I've seen like the glide gel that you can use. Is that like a good idea? Is it a bad yeah, idea? Yeah. So some people do it to put on. Like so glide gel, it's like this kind of a wax okay. kind of stuff that you put on your arms and your legs. Yeah. That's really made more to get your wetsuit off fast, but uh-huh. people can do to put it on. Other people will use like cooking oil or baby oil, but that can eat through the rubber. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to do that. Um, yeah, don't use like olive oil, like uh, yeah. Pam. <laughs> I've seen people do that <laughs> it though. Smell pretty bad. <laughs> um, the biggest thing with Body Glide is to put it around your neck because so many people, I get it all the time. You get a chafing from the wetsuit, oh, yeah, and I, yeah. for some reason, wetsuit manufacturers can't get this right. Or I've had this happen too. You have someone else zip you up, and if they don't put the zipper down and then the Velcro, yeah. when you put the Velcro over, you can put it over kind of like kind of going up or going down, and if you go up. Then you get this little scratch against your neck and it will bleed and it will really hurt the next couple of days. But if you fold it down, um, there's none of that rubbing. So that's like little tips. I would love for us to do triathlons, guys, because, well, actually, you're going to be fast. You can (laughs) and you can swim, can't you? (laughs) So maybe not. (laughs) That'd be scary. (laughs) That de-escalated. I know, exactly. (laughs) Logic came into my brain. I'm like, wait, these suckers are pretty fast. (laughs) I've gotten my 10Ks down to sub six minute pace, too. So what? Be clear. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. You guys I'm, are both being forced to be reckoned with. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is what we're talking about. This is all day long. <laughs> all right. Let's go into David's question. He says, what percentage of FTP should I target for TTs under 40 kilometers? I have TTs that are seven and a half miles, eight miles, 10 miles, 13 miles, and 15 miles. I'd like some general guidelines for what is an appropriate percentage of FTP for these differences. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting with this type of, a, we get this question a lot. A lot. A lot. We get a number of questions around this. First of all, the the one that we get really commonly is, I have a time trial, but it's not 40K. Should I do the 40K time trial plan that you guys have in Train Road? And in most cases, that answer is yes, in most cases. Um, Also, there are a lot of time trials like in the UK, and I wish we had them here. It'd be a ton of fun. But they're like short hill climb time trials. And when I say short, I mean they're like three minutes long maybe, maybe seven minutes long. Some of them are even like two minutes long. It's just like an all-out pinned effort up something. Uh, Those sort of things would be a ton of fun too. So in the question of, of how to train for or pace for a TT, mm-hmm. hopefully we can cover all those questions that people. Yeah, saying. we'll get to the super short ones later because I think those are a little outside of what we're talking about right here. Mm-hmm. Um, David's talking about the shortest event being seven and a half miles. And, and, and really, I don't even look so much at uh, the, the duration of the event as the, or I'm sorry, the distance of the event as the duration. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, consider a flat course versus a hilly course. I mean, three miles on a flat road versus three miles up, up a hill. And substantially different. Totally. Yep. You're and, and then like a rolling course where you might have to push up one side down the other side. Maybe there's a tailwind. Either way, is all those factors pull them out 
and just look at how long you have to be fast, how long you have to stay on it. Exactly. And in all these cases, I can't see anything, even a seven and a half mile on a flat road, it's going to take you at 30 miles an hour, 15 minutes. Yeah. So they're at least 15 minute events, which makes them all, all about FTP, all about operating at percentages of FTP very close to FTP. Roughly hundred percent, right in there. Doesn't matter if it's if it's fifteen minutes or fifty minutes. That the changes are subtle. Um, it will matter certainly when you get down to what Jonathan just described those two and three minute efforts. Mm -hmm. That's far more VO two max effort. Mm -hmm. But even then, you know, may, maybe you say, well, my effort's eight minutes. What do I do in that case? There, there's no discrete switch between. Now I'm working at threshold. Now I'm working at VO two max. It's this one long continuum, where it's all pretty close, and 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 you're going to train a lot of the same stuff regardless of these durations. Yeah, it's it's something that you bring up such a good point when you talk about a TT, the 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 profile, the elevation profile that you'll be facing it, to me has a, the huge the largest effect on what you should be looking at in terms of how you're going to prepare for it. Because if it's just like a if you're if it's pan flat, sure, but. If it's a situation where you are going to have undulations, that's tricky. That's when the strategy starts to figure into it, yeah. though. The conditioning is still mm -hmm. basically the same. That's what I was going to say. That's yes. duration. And then you're actually wearing the hat. If yeah. it's rolling, I would look at best bike oh, yeah. split <laughs> to figure out how to pace the uphill versus downhill. It's tricky. And then it'll be a, a little bit different, but usually when you put that in, and for those who don't know, best bike split, you can put in the like the course and it will say to get as fast or to be on this course as fast as possible on the 4% grades, push at X watts, and then on the minus 2%, push at, you know, X, Y watts. Yeah. And it's it's usually pretty close though, closer than you would think. Yeah. I think closer than a lot of people ride races too, where they, they yes. just go, I'm going to kill the uphill Surprising, yeah. and yes. like do VO2 max two minute uphill, and then I'm going to coast the <laughs> downhill. Yeah. Um, it's way more consistent than you'd think. And yeah. that's actually something that I've seen with successful time trialists somewhere where they pull away from a person like me. And I'm hoping that I can change this, but they, when they go over the top of a climb and they start rolling and it's downhill, we're so good a cyclist at going easy on ourselves on that descent or feeling like we're working just as hard. When you start going down that downhill and you keep the pace consistent, that's really difficult, but that's mm -hmm. where you can gain so much time. This goes back to what we just, we talked about earlier about attacks and stuff. Mm -hmm. And how often do you like, you know, it's the hard section and you see the top of the hill and you think everyone's <laughs> going to slow down yeah. and you're on your limit. And then one person goes extra hard. Yeah. That's you, you. That person just put you in that mental state, and you probably could kick up, even though you feel like you you can't. Yeah. But it's that it's the opposite where you think there is like relief coming, and then it gets pulled away from you. Yes, that puts you in a deeper yeah. mental state of like wanting to give up. Yes, right? and it's it's not. Whenever you look at pacing, and and I'd recommend using Best Bike Split for your specific races, and then just remember the fact that you'll have to, you know, that's a, that's an ideal plan, and then you'll have to adjust it for yourself. But the the one thing that you don't jam it on the on the climbs as much as you think. Well, it's for TTs. Yeah, for TTs. Yeah. You don't jam it as much as you think on the climbs, and you work way harder over the top and down on those rolling hills, mm -hmm. on those descents. And that's the best way. I always tell myself the climb doesn't end until the descent's done. And then and that's mm -hmm. like the best way to be able to really – you can put the hurt on a competition. So, but let, so let, let me just – just for the sake of this question, put some hard, hard – as hard as they can be numbers on effort you know, ranging mm -hmm. from, uh, let's say eight miles up to, what does it go? 15 miles is his cool. range. So eight miles at 30 miles per hour is going to take you about 16 minutes, mm -hmm. right? 15 miles at 30 miles per hour. I mean, it's fast time, but just easy math on that. It's going to take you 30 minutes. So we're talking 16 to 30 minutes. The difference in, in, in percentage of FTP, 
Maybe you ride at 105 or 106 for yeah. that for that 16 minute effort. Maybe you ride a little closer to 102, 103, 104 for that 30 minute. I mean, what I'm showing here is it's super granular. There's not mm -hmm. big really changes is. in any of these. Whether you're out there for 15 minutes or 45, not yeah. going to be a big difference. Which says, in the case of our training plans, the 40k TT plan and addressing your muscle endurance is the way to go in all cases. Yeah, even on something as short as an eight mile time trial, yeah, eight you're miles. still going to be at, 20 minutes for most people. Yeah, so that's still think about like a 20 minute effort. In, if in, if you're think doing about that. your threshold test. See if you do exactly. a two by two by eight and you went at 110 percent. There it is. Maybe you can do 110%, which you know brings me to this is something you have to test out. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you know the specific duration and, and you're going to be out there, you're targeting 22 minutes, go out there and see how hard you can go for 22 minutes once. Mm -hmm. get, the, get a sense of it. The The worst thing you could do, Chad, for that 30-minute time trial is you start at 110%, yeah. right? Just blow up. Because then you're not going to hit 104 for the whole thing. Yeah. Like and that's gonna, just time trialing 101. Yeah. You, know, you don't start any higher than, I mean, try not to be too optimistic in those early minutes. But I think though, <laughs> for you, for 40K TT, you can start 380 easy. <laughs> yeah. You're a big, we, strong man. FTP, yeah. yeah, you're a big, strong guy. <laughs> so you'll get that sub 50 minute TT. Yeah, you'll bank some time. You say you want a legit victory, not a hollow one. So let's, let's try to keep that in mind. <laughs> okay, start at uh, 280. <laughs> this next question that we have is from Alex, and it's one that we get uh, somewhat regularly too. We've addressed this uh, a number of times before on the podcast, but um, it's worth addressing again. He says, I like using erg mode on my Wahoo kicker. And just to explain erg mode, if you have a smart trainer, erg mode with trainer road, uh, what happens is that trainer road controls the resistance of that trainer so that you're riding at whatever power target you should be riding at regardless of gear or cadence. So that's what erg mode is. And he says, I like using my Wahoo kicker, uh, using the kicker as the power source, since it seems to stay at the power target way smoother. Uh, we're going to come back to that in just a bit. He says, I have a power meter. Should I be using the power meter instead, as this is going to help me help more with outside training? Uh, what? There's two things choose. here. Yeah. You choose which one you want to address. Choose first. number one. Okay. I love the guys at Wahoo Fitness, but they are lying to you about how smooth that power is. Um, they, it is too smooth. And they released a software update for about four days once where they took away the smoothing yeah. and they got a whole bunch of backlash because everyone goes, wait, you see my real power and it usually, it goes, you know, up and down and it's yes. uh, more like an instrument, like jagged. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very jagged. Right. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, people probably didn't say, I see my real power. They probably think it's all over the place. They say Something's it's broken. broken. Exactly. So seeing that smooth power output, I think there's a psychological benefit. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what people are getting out of this. Mm -hmm. And so don't think that it's locking you in any better. Because then if you pair it with Trainer Road, if you pair a power meter at the same time and the Wahoo kicker, we're still telling the kicker to say to lock you in at 200 watts, but then the power meter is being recorded as the power source. So okay. you'll see your actual power. And even as the kicker just rides there steady, you'll see you'll go up five watts, you go down 10 watts, you go up five watts, you go up three watts. Mm -hmm. And something that helps people who aren't used to this is you put on power smoothing mm -hmm. in the app and you can go up to like 30 seconds or something. I use seven seconds. And that then makes it look more like the Wahoo kicker, but still not as smooth yeah. as the Wahoo kicker. It only kicker. looks smoother. It's not actually smooth. Exactly. exactly. That's the good point. It's purely just an appearance thing. And and then one thing I just want to reiterate though for what you were or on what you were saying, just to make it clear, you'd have the smart trainer paired and you're still controlling the resistance that way. But if mm -hmm. you were to graph that power from your power meter, you would see that even though one looks smooth, the reality is very different. Yep. And Wahoo's not the only trainer company that does oh, this. Yeah. Other yep. ones do it mm -hmm. um, to different levels. Another thing I want to say is that when we record the data, the power smoothing setting in trainer road has no 
um, impact on it. We record at one second sample. So every one second we take your power. Mm -hmm. uh, with the kicker, if it's smoothed, we're not getting the whole like recording of it, but I don't think that's really gonna matter in your training because it's it's really gonna be close and I don't think we'll even adjust your normalized power for that ride at all. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that you can use is uh, power match on this. So what we've seen too, uh, sometimes a smart trainer, let's say at 200 watts, your power meter reads 200 watts too. Mm -hmm. on your, so your kicker's at 200 watts and your power reads 200 watts. But then when you go up to 300 watts, your power meter reads 280, but your kicker reads 300. So it's not a one-to-one -one relationship all yep. the way up the power spectrum. It, it changes. What we say there is the slope is different. Mm -hmm. And uh, what Power Match does is we actually use a little bit. It's kind of cool. Low-level <laughs> machine learning to figure this out. <laughs> but we try to find the best fit. So we are making it so that once you – and it improves as you ride through the workout. Mm -hmm. But once you get to those bigger changes, we're adjusting it so that um, the – the kicker and the power meter are the same. So that if it if we want you at, let's say, 300 watts, your power meter will read 300 watts. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're doing that throughout the workout. And we've tweaked it many, many, many times. And we're always trying to improve it. But yeah. I think it works pretty yeah. darn well right now. Yeah, I got to admit, I, I had my gripes with power match in the past, but I, I don't have them anymore. I absolutely well, we love it. it. Yeah. When we did the machine learning thing, it helped a ton. Yeah. And I think uh, something for people to know, if you pair your smart trainer and you pair your power meter, power match is automatically going to be on too. So you don't have to like flip any <clears throat> switches or anything. It's already done for you, which is pretty cool. So, And then the last point is, I think for recording your data, yes, use the same power meter inside and totally, outdoor. Yeah. Because if there is that difference in between at 300 watts versus your power meter, mm -hmm. that's where you want it when you actually, between your, so sorry, I'm skipping around here. If there is a difference in the slope between your trainer and your power meter, you want it to be consistent in indoor and outdoor. Mm -hmm. So when you go uh, outside, 300 watts feels the same as 300 watts inside. So yep. yes, use your power meter. That's why you bought it. And then just put maybe lots of smoothing on. The, other, the only other thing is afterwards when we display the graph, that's a different amount of smoothing depending on how many pixels are on the screen. And uh, so it might look a little more jagged than it yep. got than you were while you're working out, but don't worry. It's fine. Yeah. Um, you're doing great. And yeah. And don't, once again, don't worry about your graph being variable. That's normal. Like yep. that, that is the normal. Mm -hmm. So if that happens and if you're bouncing around a bit, that's don't worry about a it. Smooth graph is a lie. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. Lot, yeah. 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 It's just pretty. Uh, let's get into all these questions. Real pretty though. <laughs> and, and sorry, one more thing though. Yeah. I don't think you're losing as long as you in two with your mm -hmm. Wahoo kicker, calibrate it, do the spin down. And uh, I think you can use the Wahoo app and there's, I don't, if there's their advanced spin down still, but anyways, you should do the things that Wahoo says to calibrate your trainer mm -hmm. so that you don't have those slope differences. Right. We've noticed that not everybody does that every ride. Yep. Um, and I don't think you're losing anything by yeah. having the smooth display while you're riding either. So I'm not like yeah, you're not. saying a kicker is bad. So you want to calibrate the kicker every single ride? I would do a spin down every single ride. Yep. Oh, After yeah. about 10 minutes of warm up do a, a kicker spin down if you're not using power match. Yeah. So oh, if you're, you're just, okay, I got gotcha. you. If you're using power match, it doesn't matter right? because it's, you don't need to do that. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> if you're only using the, a smart trainer, any smart trainer that has calibration, they not all of them have it, mm -hmm. um, do that every ride. Yep. Okay. I agree with that. After it's warmed up. Okay. Ollie says, I've read that multivitamin supplements lower the oxidative stress on your body and therefore reduce training adaptations. However, they also can boost the immune system. Do the advantages outweigh the disadvantages here? 
Oh, Lushen. berry smoothies. Oh, berry I, smoothies yeah, right here. This sent me down a rat hole, and I'm not sure I have emerged from it. I don't have <laughs> any any straight answers for you, Ollie. Um, so first off, let's talk about working what free radicals are. So working muscles produce um, what are called reactive oxygen and nitrogen species. So free radicals, these little uh, potentially harmful uh, aspects of exercise that can cause cell damage, they can lend to muscle fatigue. There are downsides to them. It's argued there are also adaptive upsides to them. And, and, the, and the argument is that if we supplement with antioxidants, are we negating some of the adaptation we get from training? They so, get a really cool so name. They sound like a political a rebellion group. Like, <laughs> sound pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and the argument against uh, exogenous antioxidants, so actually pill form, you know, taking okay. additional outside of what you'd get naturally through diet, is that, and, and this is a solid argument, is that inflammation steers repair. It, it tells your reparative repair. <laughs> Uh, your body re resources, yeah, your resources. Where to go? You know, where where the issue is. What needs to be stronger? What I just taxed. What needs to to rebound and and be stronger next time, hmm. and and we blunt that that response. Um, it, oxidative uh, damage or oxidative uh, distress or stress isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's like anything else. We beat ourselves up. Our body adapts. We come back stronger. We can deal with it better in the future. And endurance athletes actually actually have better oxidative or uh, sorry, antioxidative capabilities. Hmm. We develop those through exercise. And typically it's through moderate exercise, the higher end exercise, the longer exercise is a little more detrimental. And that's where the arguments for antioxidants start to start to play into it. Hmm. But uh, overall the studies and all the confusing this were uh, you know some it's different in the arms than it is in the legs. Here's what happened with rat muscle. Here's what uh, you know vitamin C and vitamin E ingestion actually caused greater problems than they solved, etc. I, I just boiled it down to the takeaways or, or where the consensus lies. Okay. Thank you. And let's, we appreciate yeah, please that. Please tell us. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's get it through whole foods. I mean not like rocket science here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whole food items. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't really clear it up. Uh, but the fact is, do it dietarily. Don't do it via supplements. Okay. There are cases for supplements, and it's when you know people are deficient. I was just talking with Pete about this, and uh, Pete, Pete, our uh, Cliff Bar guy, Cliff Bar guy, who also has a degree in nutrition. Yep. Um, and and most of what we should get, and, and Nate's a perfect example of this, should come from our diet. Mm -hmm. there, there aren't magic pills. I mean, mm -hmm. we can supplement to. To try, you know, try to clean up uh, certain issues. Maybe if you have a something very specific, mm -hmm. supplementation might make more sense. But not not so much in the case of not everything I read yesterday and this morning uh, with, with antioxidants. If you can't get it through your diet, it's and and, and when we talk about exogenous supplementation, we're we're probably talking about one or two, and even a multivitamin doesn't address it in the same ratios. It's, I mean, nature knows how to feed our bodies, or our bodies know how to reap the benefits of nature. We yeah. we can't get that through these these supplements, not as well anyway. So, what kind of foods to have the high antioxidants? You'll be happy to hear. Um, <laughs> cherry juice, sweet potatoes, two staples of your current diet. I wonder um, why berries. that is. <laughs> and really simply, fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Fruits and vegetables. And I know legumes and uh, nuts and stuff like that are also on the list. There's it, seems like, like you're, it seems like you know what you're doing with this well, thing. Well, I'm Nate. doing it on purpose, right? <laughs> I uh, There's a couple like acia. I never say it right. The acai. 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 Yeah, that, those ones and like goji berries. Right. Those are hard to find. And those are like the ones, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that has a lot those of are niche items with like huge markup. I mean, they're just buzzy. So yeah, they sell yeah, a lot. Yeah. They're, they're moneymakers. Other <laughs> ones that are great though. Story. Um, kidney beans. 
Like those are <laughs> not, you know, not as sexy as acai. Exactly. <laughs> Blackberries, um, blueberries, mm-hmm. even yeah. strawberries. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize Berries. apples have a lot of antioxidants in them. Like go. all of these, uh, it seems like, oh, I need to get this like special pill with this certain yeah, thing. Yeah. Or I can just eat like the regular produce items that I can get pretty much anywhere in the world. Um, or at least I don't really know any of the world, but yeah, yeah. in the U.S. you can get it pretty easily. Uh Super easy. I think, too, the best argument is for this, to eat the foods like this, is who cares about a couple watts here or there? And that mm. comes a lot, same for me. <laughs> yeah, it does. Because <laughs> I'm really anal I, about that We've stuff. been talking about shaving a couple watts with a wax chain that's brand new. $400. Or one that's been used. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, like, ceramic speed bearings that are, like, one watt for a yeah. bunch of money. But um, there's so much research saying that uh, eating these types of food in a high antioxidant diet will help you pre- help prevent cancer in the future. Yeah. That yeah. is so much better. Bigger picture stuff, yeah. So much better than having a couple more watts yeah, exactly. and worrying about it. I, that's and I don't think it makes you I'd argue I so I don't have any science to back this up. Okay. One of my favorite sayings. <laughs> Disclaimer. Yeah, but I'd argue like uh those high carbs and fruits and vegetables, you just feel awesome after you train mm-hmm. and you can train more. Um yeah. and maybe it does blunt something, but I'm training more and I'm getting faster. Mm-hmm. Um more so than when I didn't eat food like this. Yeah. That's uh, a good point. I, it's, it's, it, that's anecdotal. I know. Just eat your fruit and vegetables. Yeah, but yeah. There's, there's always this concern. It's like people lose sight of the fact that you need to balance good health with performance. Yeah. And no, you just need to have good health. Then you can focus on performance. It's yeah, not, it kind of comes it's, with it's not it a too. one or the other. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. The the type of fuel that makes you a good cyclist is the type of fuel that makes you a healthy person in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder why you have that to be is. a healthy person, <laughs> know, right? A good yeah, yeah. athlete. Exactly, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about this topic? Yeah, um, yeah just there's no one size fits all. So so uh, some people um, respond differently to different antioxidants. Um, some people have a higher uh capacity to deal with these oxidized, you know, reactive mm-hmm. oxygen species, et cetera. So, you know, what works for your body may not work as well for you dietarily and performance. That's something that we should always have that, that personal grain of salt. Next one is from David on the nutrition kick. Again, we're actually going to close it out with two nutrition uh, questions here. Uh, David says, quick question. Do you know if you have to ingest water with carbohydrates in order for your body to store glycogen? Since glycogen is roughly three to one water to carb ratio, it makes sense. But I'm wondering if you have any knowledge about this. So let's answer that first. Yeah. Um, One of the steps in, uh, what is it, glycogenesis or glycogen synthesis Mm -hmm. is hydrolysis. I mean, the water has to come from somewhere. So they're using water to break bonds to to further the whole, you know, making glucose into glycogen. So it is a necessary step in the process. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you don't necessarily have to ingest it with your carbohydrate, but the water is going to come from somewhere. Gotcha. Perfect. Okay. And he says related, if your body doesn't have enough water to create glycogen, what happens? And this is, I, I bet like the, the fear here is dehydrated during a race or am I drinking enough to, to actually process the type of nutrition? Yeah, you're not, you're not making glycogen during a race. You're using glucose and you're using glycogen that's already there. Mm-hmm. Um, glycogen resynthesis is going to happen after the fact. Cool. Um, but it just, just same thing that happens with glucose when you have a surplus or where you can't put it where it needs to go. So whether or not um, you have the water to make glycogen or your glycogen stores are already full, excess glucose has to go somewhere. And typically that goes to fat stores. Gotcha. So it's, it's really that simple. Cool. So it's actually not, it's you not like, packed a, away. yeah, you don't have to like take in the gel and then take down a bunch of water to try to give yourself the water. Not necessarily. The bigger down. concern there, I think would be, you know, gastric distress just trying to get it moving through the system rather than sitting in your gut. Yeah. Or like eating a dry thing when you're pushing really hard. Oh, that's the worst, man. The worst. Yeah. Start spitting crumbs. 
Uh, last one's from Taylor. He says, Hey guys, love the podcast. Been listening for over a year now. My question is this, what are the benefits of supplementing with creatine for endurance athletes? Ooh. I've read some recent articles lately that there are some benefits when it comes to VO two max, uh, for, from creatine supplementation, any feedback on expertise or expertise on this would be greatly appreciated. Okay. So from the start, we're endurance athletes. We rely primarily on our aerobic system. Um, the anaerobic system is broken down into two different systems. One, one's glycolysis, you know, the glycogen we were just talking about, and the other is phosphogens, which is okay. the ATP that's already in the muscle, actually in the muscle fiber, and um, phosphocreatine or creatine phosphate, so that's CP. really fast-burning stuff, right? Super fast-burning and, and in very limited supply. Mm -hmm. So that's the true fight-or-flight stuff. That's a, the, You can use it, and it's gone anywhere from, depending on the intensity, eight seconds, maybe as long as 30 seconds. You know, you can train it, you can stretch it. You can train how quickly it re replenishes, things like that. But the fact is, it's just not very useful to endurance athletes. That's your nine lives fuel. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, short of- It's like what you use to escape death, right? Yeah. So the fact is, <laughs> if it does have benefits, if it can give you just a little more snap for that eight or 10 second effort, how useful is that over the course of really any type of race? Yeah, short really. of maybe like a kilo sprint where you need to get up to speed promptly. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it, Something just... along that really quick, sorry for jumping in, but and I know a lot of you are thinking, well, my sprint doesn't last that long, but keep in mind mm -hmm. what you have to do before that sprint. And for most of us, it's it's a lengthy aerobic effort that we have to do where it's dancing in between aerobic and anaerobic stuff. And yeah, this isn't going to be the know. race maker for really anybody. Mm -hmm. Again, it's just hard for me to imagine a situation where having a, an extra little boatload of creatine is going to be the difference between winning and losing a race. I think so that... Like it's shown that creatine for like the really short, short stuff might mm -hmm. improve a little bit, yeah. but the downside for cyclists is, and I've taken creatine many times since what high school or something, um, you put on water weight, you mm -hmm. hold maybe an extra five pounds. And that's kind of Jonathan's point. If you have a road race, you got to hold five extra pounds. <laughs> yeah. And for you, what? Well, it too, and you're, so maybe you're a little bit stronger on the sprint, but then when you get to the sprint, you're actually weaker because you had to carry five extra pounds for that entire race. Exactly. Right. Um, so and it's five extra pounds, like you said, Chad, that's not doing anything for you. Right. Yeah. Relatively yeah. speaking. So, um, so what I would say is maybe, uh, track people, if you're, if you're track, like those guys with the, like, uh -huh. they're pretty much bodybuilders on bikes, <laughs> yeah. you know, like a points race or, I mean, there might be tracks really the closest thing I can get to making a case for creating supplementation. Yeah. Yeah. And even then it's, it's, uh, Tenuous. Maybe, maybe I'm just throwing this out there. Off season while you're training, and you don't. If you really want to benefit your strength your training, but yeah. Again, uh -huh. is yeah, that going to make you a faster rider? There's tons of research that creatine supplementation does help with uh, strength training. Explosive strength, max strength. Yep, yep, yep plenty of it. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting stuff. And it's super cheap too. It's so been, I heard it's, it's like one of the most researched like uh, yeah. supplements for uh, weight training out so there. Yeah, it's just yeah. dirt cheap. Yeah. Yep. All right, everybody, thanks for submitting your questions to us. You can do so, remember, at trainerroad.com slash podcast, and we will look through those questions next week, put them together, and we'll be talking to you then uh, for, I guess that covers it for this week, guys. Thanks, everybody. All right, thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.